Welcome to Hacked Off. In today's episode, I wanted to do a little bit of a month in review. Uh, a few things have happened in August that are kind of related that I, I figured were worth talking about. And I can generally summarize it as security conference controversy. As a lot of different things have been happening at, at different conferences, let's let's see how many we can get into a single podcast. Um, I want to talk a little bit about what's happened at Black Hat with uh, Crown Sterling, maybe talk a little bit about uh, B-Sides Manchester and some controversy there. Some of this, uh, I, I don't actually think it's as big a deal as maybe Twitter is letting on, um, but I do think it's important that people kind of understand the, the background of what's happening here. So where to start? The sensible place to start would be the benefits of security conferences, right? I am pro-security conference before I start ranting about corporate sponsorship and some of the difficulties there. Security conferences are awesome and making sure that they're available to people is a very, very important thing. If you are interested in cybersecurity but haven't attended conferences yet, if you can at all, I strongly recommend it. I do, of course, understand that attending security conferences is expensive if you're lucky and you have a low-cost conference in your local city, something like a B-Sides, then that's super awesome. But the the spectrum of what you can pay for conferences is pretty wide. I mean, to take an extreme example, look at going to DEF CON or Black Hat, something like that. Certainly, if, like me, you live in Europe, then just the cost of getting to Las Vegas and getting a hotel for the period of the conference can be a, a huge cost, let alone ticket prices and those kinds of things. So I am pro-security conference, I am pro-accessibility for getting people to conferences, however we manage to do that. Cost is an issue, and one way that conferences can keep costs down is corporate sponsorship. So if a conference gets companies to pay for a sponsorship package, then the corporate sponsorship can overall reduce the cost of ticket prices, those kinds of things or can add value to the conference by allowing the conference to do something bigger and better than they otherwise could have. However, I know some people are uncomfortable with the idea of corporate sponsorship for a few different reasons, maybe things like um, sponsored talks, people paying to deliver talks at security conferences, or things like just the involvement that the company might have and being unsure as to whether the company is kind of twisting the conference um, in their direction or, or or something like that. Just this, this general idea of a conflict of interest that, that maybe we're not aware of. That's possibly the easiest thing to talk about first is this kind of cost reduction conflict of interest thing. So we'll, we'll get to that and then we'll talk about what is maybe the bigger problem, which is kind of um, sponsored talks and, and managing those events. But attending conferences is costly, running conferences is costly, and many of the conferences that we talk about, so the B-sides, for example, are, are put together by volunteers, um, volunteer founders who kind of establish the conference, and then the actual running on the day is very often a team of volunteers. Now, that's not necessarily to say they're doing it um, just for the goodness of their heart. They are generally good people who are doing it because it benefits the um, the wider community, but 
yeah, sometimes you get benefits for volunteering at these conferences as well. So, for example, uh, if you're volunteering and, and working one of the days of the conference, you might get free entry to the other day of the conference, those kinds of things. So I'm not saying that um, volunteering doesn't have its own benefits, but conferences are expensive to put on. If you think of just the price of um, the, the, the founder's time, but also things like venues, getting everyone there to, to put the talks on, those kinds of things, it, it's expensive. Paying for a venue isn't cheap. And if a company can come in and sponsor the conference, give them some money, allow them to pay for the venue, then that's not necessarily a bad thing. At the beginning of this month, though, at the beginning of August, I think it was the, the 1st of August even, somebody posted to Twitter that one of the really well-known conferences besides Manchester had some corporate involvement that they were maybe not happy with. And I've seen a lot of different takes on this. Some people um, claiming maybe this person was being disingenuous and maybe just trying to stir up a little bit of uh, controversy, kind of cause a, a bit of a Twitter battle. I'm going to take it as as writ and just say maybe this person genuinely didn't realize the, the situation here and was just asking publicly for uh, a little bit of clarity. You could, of course, with hindsight, argue that there's better ways of asking for clarity, maybe approaching the conference directly. With this being a B-sides, maybe approach, approaching the, the B-sides organization themselves, the kind of um, overseers, and asking for some clarity. But in short, somebody posted to Twitter words to the effect of, had a look at B-sides Manchester's schedule last night and noticed that four of the talks were given by people who work at NCC, more than any other company. Looked at the sponsor page and saw they are a platinum sponsor. I decided to look into the organisers and was unfamiliar with who runs the conference. Out of the six organisers listed, I was able to confirm at least five of the six worked at NCC when Besides Manchester was created. Now, I can see how um, some people might think, hmm, this is an awkward thing. If uh, a security company is uh, greatly involved in a conference, would that company be able to unfairly twist the, the runnings of the conference for themselves? either getting sponsorship without paying the full amount or getting more than the sponsorship level should give them, those kinds of things. I, I do generally um, think it's fair for somebody to just be curious about these kinds of things and, and maybe ask for a little bit of um, uh, transparency, a little bit of clarity. And it seemed to, to split the industry a little bit. I think most people were siding with uh, the conference and saying, hey, this is a really good conference and they're a paying sponsor, so they're allowed to advertise and those kinds of things. But um, one, one person pointed out, um, I understand your point, but we must also remember that if they didn't take the time and effort out of their lives to organize the conference, it wouldn't exist. Given the heavy presence of NCC in Manchester, there's a high likelihood that they'd have speakers too. I think that the point here is um, this distinction between a company being involved and the employees of that company being involved. And yeah, okay, we can have transparency around that thing. But if a company is involved in a conference, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Corporate sponsorship is, is okay. I'll get to some reasons why in a, in a second. But just reduction of cost of the, the conference is one thing. Um, but there's also a distinction between the company being involved and trying to alter the conference in such a way that it, it benefits that company and just some of their staff attending a conference, right? That's that's a big distinction. And people who uh, found these conferences, certainly things like B-Sides, you know, they have their jobs as well. They're, they're volunteering to, to do this work. So I think this controversy around um, corporate sponsorship for involvement in a conference is maybe a, a little bit overhyped. And I think one of the things that 
really pointed that out to me was the 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 way that this point was put forwards. Um, raising the point of, hey, are these people getting more than they're paying for is, is maybe genuine. But um, one thing I did see pointed out was um, when somebody posted to say, hey, if everyone's curious about where this um, controversy came from, uh, I think this is the original thread. Somebody posted uh, a link to the original thread for for this person who started this controversy. The person who um, posted the original post posted like a, a gif of somebody eating popcorn, which kind of leads you to think, are they being genuine or are they being disingenuous here? Are they, are they saying it's important that conferences are transparent or are they saying, hey, this sounds like it'll get a kick out of um, Twitter and people will start arguing and there'll be some drama and those kinds of things. So, yeah, is corporate sponsorship a good thing in general? I think it is. I, I hope most people would agree with me. I think wanting transparency is not necessarily a bad thing. But I think the problem of uh, of raising this kind of controversy in this way is maybe a bad thing. Instead of contacting the organization to see if they can be clear with you or contacting the um, overall organization besides themselves in this case uh, to get that information, maybe that was a bad approach. Uh, one person posted, um, I urge you to consider that whilst you might not intend offense once questioning the integrity of a group of people who give a lot to a lot and volunteer to make this happen, just take a moment to think how that might make them feel. And I think that's fair enough, right? So there's e-people volunteering to put this conference on and then having their integrity questioned. So one of the things that came out from this was one of the founders, Dive Monkey, did make a personal statement. And then the conference itself responded with a, a little bit of transparency. And I, I think that is a good thing. For example, uh, the conference themselves said, given that it appears to be of interest, let speakers, <laughs> let's speak about who runs besides Manchester. For 2019, 57% of besides Manchester organisers were employed by NCC. The remainder are employed by others in cyber. For 2019, of our 36 speakers, four have recent association with NCC. So again, we have another distinction here. Yes, it's cool that besides Manchester came out and said, hey, you asked for transparency, here's some transparency. But another thing is um, working for a company and being recently affiliated with that company or formally affiliated with that company. There's a difference here. If you were to say, for example, oh, I'm unsure if there's a conflict of interest here because some of the people who founded this organization used to work for this company who's now sponsoring, I, I think that's a difficult thing. I, I personally am, am nowhere tied to the companies that I used to work for. They don't, you know, uh, I, I don't drive their interests forwards necessarily. Maybe that's some bias on my part because I haven't worked for a lot of charities or 501Cs, those kinds of things. But yeah, I stopped working for a company. I stopped advertising and advocating for that company generally. So the conflict of interest is pretty minimal there. So I think um, this initial point of, um, you know, pushing for transparency and those kinds of things is, is maybe a little bit overrated. But more recently... A black hat, there has been uh, another kind of controversy that I think actually maybe is a little bit more genuine. Uh, and I don't think it's quite the level of problem that maybe a lot of people on, on Twitter think it is. Uh, and because of that, I kind of want to talk a little bit about corporate sponsorship for corporate talks. Now, this is a different thing. So a company sponsoring a conference so that the conference can reduce costs in exchange for things like booths at the conference, allowing the company to, to brand the, the program, those kinds of things, I don't have a problem with. Corporate talks, however, is a little bit different. And, and this is where a company can pay to put a talk on and then they have creative control over, over what that talk contains. 
I had it personally um, at a different conference that, that I won't name because the conference was really good uh, and I have no, no difficulties with that conference at all. But there was a talk at this conference from uh, a company who sponsored the conference. And the problem for me in that context was that it wasn't clear if this talk had been through a review board, they'd passed through the, the CFP, as it's usually called, call for papers, um, and it was just de deemed to be very good content, you know, uh, good enough that they should be given a slot, they deserve a slot, or whether that company had paid for that slot. I don't have a problem with companies paying for speaking slots. I'll get to that in a second. But my point being, I didn't know if they had earned it through CFP or paid for it. And, and that that troubled me. That is something that I think with corporate sponsorship troubles me. Um, not necessarily because of the conflict of interest, but again, just this idea of transparency. So at this particular conference, I decided that because I wasn't sure um, and I was worried about it being, you know, one of those product placement, sales pitchy kind of um, talks, I went to a different talk. <coughs> you know, the, these conferences tend to have two, three tracks, maybe two main tracks and a, a rookie's track, something like that. I went and watched something else. But one of the people who I was attending that conference with I did go and watch this talk. So I asked them afterwards, I was like, hey, was it the sales pitch that we were worried about? He said, yeah, it pretty much was. The guy was just selling his product. Now, like I said, I don't have a problem with companies getting sponsored talks. The problem for me there is I didn't know. I didn't know whether it was going to be a good talk with good content through CFP or whether it was um, a talk that, you know, they'd, they'd paid for a slot. Maybe some people would take a different view. Maybe some people would think the idea of paying for a conference talk at all is um, something that just shouldn't be allowed. And I think an extreme case where this might be, uh, an extreme example to highlight this will be what happened at Black Hat recently. So I'll try and fairly summarize the events without giving a particular opinion on the company who spoke, but I'll, I'll talk around... Uh, why some people might find this controversial. But I'm talking about Crown Sterling. So um, Crown Sterling spoke at Black Hat this year. It is my understanding that it was clear that it was a sponsored talk. They call them uh, sponsored sessions. But my understanding is it was clear that this was a sponsored talk and, and that they had therefore um, paid for this speaking slot. And in fact, after the conference, uh, due to a complaint, which I'll get to in a second, uh, we, we even know the, the price that they paid. Um, Crown Sterling sponsored Black Hat and they paid $115,000 to do that. That's a huge amount of money. Maybe in the context, it isn't. Maybe, in, you know, a lot of conferences charge a lot of money for sponsorship. And this figure is broken down, to my understanding, um, into the majority of it being for their stand and a portion of it being for their talk. So it's, uh, if I remember correctly, $90,000 for the stand, $25,000 for the talk. Now, like I say, my problem with the original talk that I saw was that it wasn't clear whether it was sponsored or not. In this particular case, it was. It was a sponsorship session. They come here, they talk about uh, their product, they are paying for their marketing effectively. The problem with this particular talk is that Oh, what's the polite way of putting it? It's been somewhat controversial in regards to the fact that some of the things they have claimed are either uh, untrue or there isn't enough evidence to suggest how they are achieving the things that they claim they're achieving. So who are Crown Sterling to give uh, a brief introduction to this problem? 
They describe themselves on their website as a leading digital cryptocurrency firm. They exhibit, exhibited at Black Hat and at Black Hat, they were discussing one of their products that they refer to as Time AI. Now, Time AI has uh, its own website and it has its own um, product description and it has its own marketing video. And I want to read out some of the um, content of the marketing video because it might it might give you an indication as to, to why this problem has come about and why um, certainly some media companies are referring to these guys as a snake oil crypto vendor. On their website, the video is caveated. Beneath the video, it does state, this video content is available for general information and promotional purposes only. It is not intended to be, nor shall it be taken as a technical exposition, description, or warranty with respect to the features or capabilities of Time AI. The video is caveated. But the video is designed in some way, it seems, to advertise this product. And the content of the video, uh, I won't read it all out, but I'll give you um, an indicator of the level of marketing language that we've got going on here. Time AI is an entirely new classification in data privacy called quantum encryption, an impenetrable system utilizing five dimensions of encryption technology. Rather than depending on prime numbers in only a two-dimensional static matrix, Time AI is an entirely new classification in data privacy called quantum encryption, an impenetrable system utilizing five dimensions of encryption technology. Rather than depending on prime numbers in only a two-dimensional static matrix, Time AI introduces time and high-speed oscillations of infinite wave values of irrational numbers as its encryption modularity. Using the infinite variations within music composed real-time by artificial intelligence, Time AI generates quantum encryption keys as unique as your own iris. Each quantum public key is paired with two quantum private keys that are entangled with mirror symmetry mathematics in value, time exposure, and oscillation speed. Quite a jumble of words there. Now, I'm not saying that this is unique to this company. A lot of marketing material put out by a lot of companies is not great. And even some people who work at those companies would say, man, I wish uh, the marketing department would put more through us before they publish it. But you can see here that they're, they're putting a lot on this product and saying, hey, this product can do some really amazing things that a lot of cryptography stuff can't currently do. So what was the response to this product? Well, I watched the Black Hat talk, and it's pretty interesting. If you're in the room, and, and I wasn't in the room, to, to be clear, I, I watched uh, a video of the talk. Um, everyone sits quietly. The talk itself is about 20 minutes long, and then there's a five-minute at the end where they, they play that video, which is available on their website, uh, that I just read that snippet from. So 20 minutes of talk, they play the five-minute video, everybody applauds, or rather there is applause. I'm not going to say everybody applauded, but there is applause. They stop for questions. There are two or three questions of just, have you considered this? How does it compare to, to other products? Like I said, this is, this is available online if you really want to sit through 25 minutes of this conference talk. And then... Somebody uh, doesn't ask a question, but, but starts uh, shouting at the, uh, the, uh, the speaker. Now, I'm not going to call out who this person is. It's, it's online if you're um, seriously curious. And, and I'm, from what I've seen, that the person is, I don't want to use the word proud, but the person is uh, pretty direct with, yeah, these, these are things that I said, and these are things that I feel, those are you know, his opinions. Um, but some of the things he, he shouted, <laughs> spoke with raised voice, was, you're lying, this is a scam. So at the end of the talk, he's, he's calling the speaker out with, you know, this, this product doesn't do what you say it does. And 
this is a, a strange thing. It was strange to me when I watched it because everyone sat quietly, watched the talk, and then suddenly there's this disruption at the end. Now, this isn't really true. This isn't the first time that somebody raised problems with this talk content. Um, somebody wrote a counter paper, for example, um, refuting some of the points raised um, in the product. Um, I might read a snippet of that of that paper out in a second, actually, because it's, um, it's well written. I think it, it, there's some humor in that. Um, but there was uh, essentially academic style papers written. I say academic style because the paper that I have read has not been peer reviewed, but it is written in an academic style uh, and presents counterproofs. And um, so we have our counter papers. We have somebody live tweeting during the talk, uh, effectively trying to highlight or, or potentially highlighting that some of these claims aren't aren't necessarily all that they may claim to be. Um, and then we have this guy at the end shouting out. And one person in the audience uh, following the person chatting out w was basically saying, like, you know, be polite. You know, you should be polite. These guys are, are presenting here. If you have problems, then maybe this isn't the the uh, the way to raise them. Um, it's not what they said. They just said, you know, you know, be polite here. Something like that. Um, the, the guy who shouted out was, in fact, seen out of the room. Security did remove him. That's, that's shown on the video, which is available. Uh, so he was asked to leave. Now, we'll get to some of the potential technical problems of the talk itself, but just this, this general idea that if companies are sponsoring conferences, that's not necessarily a bad idea. If companies are, are putting forward these, these talks to you know, push their products, that's not necessarily a bad idea, in my opinion, as long as it's clear this is a sponsored talk. Um, the problem comes out if, if the things that they're pushing are just not true but it was a weird thing to me it was a weird thing that this the the audience sat and listened and then applauded and then there was questions this guy shouted up he was seen out and then there was another round of applause not a round of applause at him being seen out but at the end of the session they took another question and then the session ended so there was there was applause it's a very 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 strange thing but um the reason that i'm bringing this up is is just because it, it's interesting right so it's it's in line with uh, a few things that have happened this month. This is not the only conference controversy of the month. I've seen at least three conferences in technology that have had some degree of um, controversy this month. But I just wanted to highlight it because I'm curious as to what you guys think the appropriate approach is. Um, if if there's a, a talk at a conference that you don't think is right, shouldn't be there, is controversial for some reason... You know, how should you approach that? Uh, let's take it to its extreme. Let's take in, in uh, hypothetically, there is a talk at a conference where they are saying things that are just demonstrably not true. Um, how would you say is the correct way to address that? Would you be on the side of writing a counter paper and, you know, academically putting down proofs of why it's not true? Would you live tweet and have a joke at them and say, hey, this is a bit a bit silly, none of this is right? Or um, would you be there standing up and shouting and, and, and calling them frauds and telling them that they're lying and this is a scam? Um I think in theory, a lot of people would be saying, you know, I'd, I'd be standing up and I'd be, I'd be shouting at the company and those kinds of things. Um, but when it actually comes down to it, it's not really what people did. One person stood up. It, it certainly wasn't the um, majority response. So what's the fallout from this? Is this just another controversy for a security conference where something happened and uh, that's it? Maybe... The organization needs to, to look to review their papers or something like that. 
not quite. It developed even further. Um, Crown Sterling have uh, filed a complaint to sue the company behind Blackout, the, the company that put the Blackout conference on, uh, UBM, I believe they're called. And this complaint is certainly interesting. Now, I have the complaint here. I, I certainly won't uh, read it all out to you. It's, it's pretty long, but one of the things that I, I want to read out to you is um, what they're actually complaining about because I think it's interesting. A lot of people on, on Twitter are saying, oh, you know, if it's true that this company's product is um, not correct, not accurate, not, not true, scam, whatever, um, then they would deserve this response. But that's not what the complaint is is claiming. The complaint is claiming um, a, a couple of things. There's, there's um, two, two claims for relief. The first claim for relief is a breach of contract. Now, I'm going to put out here before I start reading from a legal document. I'm not a lawyer, but um, the the company is claiming that that uh, Black Hat um, breached the contract, and they're saying that, um, as detailed above, the defendant has breached the Black Hat sponsorship agreement by, among other things, conducting itself in a manner that directly negated any and all benefits of the gold sponsorship program that Crown Sterling paid for unreasonably refusing to prevent or mitigate the disruptive conduct of Crown Sterling's detractors at and in connection with the Black Hat 2019 event, accepting without comment Crown Sterling sponsored talk materials months in advance of the event without providing any feedback or imposing any requirement on the content, and then issuing a public statement post-event in PC Magazine to disavow the content of the sponsored talk. And of course, as a direct and proximate result of defendants' breaches of the Black Hat Sponsorship Agreement, as aforesaid, plaintiff has suffered and will continue to suffer monetary damages in an amount to be proven at trial. Why do I, why do I read this complaint out to you? Um, because it highlights uh, two things. Uh, well, uh, three things, right? Let's, let's, let's hit e each three point here. The, the first is this idea that uh, refusing to prevent or mitigate the disruptive conduct on Crown Sterling's detractors. A counterpoint to that, of course, is that um, Black Hat Security did remove the guy who spoke out during the talk. He was removed from the room. That's on video. Um, but this this idea that um, Black Hat had, according to this complaint, which is written by Crown Sterling, Black Hat had this content for months in advance and didn't, according to um, Crown Sterling, didn't provide any feedback or impose any requirement on their content. So again, it's just another thing with security conferences that I'm highlighting. What, what's the general expectation here? What do you guys think about this kind of thing? Um, personally, I would, prior to this, I've probably said that I don't really mind what the sponsored content is as long as, as I previously mentioned, it was clear that it's sponsored content. This company is putting this forward. This is a statement from this company and nothing more. Um, whereas I think a lot of people are suddenly confronted with the idea that actually maybe maybe Black Hat or maybe other conferences should be more strictly vetting this content. I think the problem there is it puts even more on the conference. You know, these, these people who volunteer to put these conferences forwards or these people who are putting even commercial conferences forward, th there's a lot of things to do to get a conference right. And, and vetting this content is just another thing for them to, to have to do. Um, so yeah, what, what is it that you think as an audience listening to this, what, what do you think the right thing to do is? Should, um, Black Hat be 
reviewing this content and effectively approving it. And and that's a difficult thing, right? Because is Black Hat reviewing this content and they're saying, hey, yeah, we agree with this, when really it's it's just uh, a sponsor maybe pushing a product? Or is it better that they're not reviewed, they're put through by the company, and then they're just highlighted as, you know, this isn't content uh, approved by the conference as such, this is just a paired for slot. It's nothing more than they're paired for this slot, they get the slot in it, and it's free. Um, I was also thinking about how should how should conferences um, make this distinction clear? Is it okay in the program to just have in little letters next to the conference title sponsored? Or should it be entirely separate? Should it be um, on a separate track, a sponsored track where you go in that room, you're going to get sponsored talks and nothing else? I don't know. I'm curious what you guys think. Um, yeah, so month in review, the thing that I wanted to highlight is is conference controversy with a little bit of controversy for, for B-Sides Manchester with transparency around involvement of, of companies, which personally I don't think is a big idea, a big problem. Um, yeah, you know what? Employees of companies volunteer as well. That's not a big shock to me. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you guys want to throw some comments over social media and tell me all the ways in which I'm wrong and, and maybe advocate for transparency or, or a certain kind of transparency. But yeah, the, the Black Hat one that's come out, this, this Crown Sterling issue, the content of the talk and then suing UBM, I think that's a really difficult one and I'm really curious as to as to what the audience think there too. Crown Sterling uh, raised effectively two things in their conference talk. One was this um, idea that they have broken cryptography that relies on factoring. Now, this isn't all cryptography. A couple of people have, have claimed they said they've broken all cryptography. I've never actually seen them claim that. I've only ever seen them claim that um, they've broken cryptography based on factoring. So let's have a, a little kind of postscript at the end here where we talk a little bit about cryptography, quantum cryptography, and I kind of add some technical detail onto it where maybe people have heard about this Crown Sterling debacle but aren't really aware of what it is. So I guess here's a five-minute introduction to cryptography at the end. Um, a lot of uh, cryptography, I nearly said modern cryptography, but the problem is a lot of this stuff came out decades ago and maybe a lot of people wouldn't wouldn't agree with the term um, modern cryptography. But a lot of um, cryptography relies on the fact that factoring large numbers is a difficult problem. It's a hard problem. And Encryption such as RSA's encryption uh, uses the fact that factoring these large numbers is is difficult. So a fundamental part of uh, things like Diffie-Hellman RSA is if you take two large primes, multiply them together, uh, and use that number as a fundamental aspect of cryptography, for an attacker to be able to reverse that, taking an integer and finding its prime factors is a difficult thing. So that gives strength to the cryptography. Crown Sterling came in, said they found a way to do that. We already know of a way to do that. This isn't the first time somebody's published this. And this leads into quantum cryptography and post-quantum quantum cryptography. Um, for example, we know about Shaw's algorithm. In fact, that's not new either. Shaw's algorithm was published, what, 1994, I want to say? For those unfamiliar with Shaw's algorithm, um, in short, given an integer, it can find its prime factors. That's the point of the algorithm. 
Now, like I said, not all cryptography relies on this um, hard factoring problem. Uh, Lattice-based crypto, for example, would be an alternative where, where this doesn't apply in this context. But Shaw's algorithm exists. What was the difficulty with Shaw's algorithm? Well, it's a quantum algorithm. So it runs on quantum computers, which means even if we say we have a way of factoring these, these numbers, doesn't mean it's feasible. You know, it's like academically demonstrated. Um, quantum computing, it's not widely available. You know, your, your laptop you've got at home isn't a quantum computer. There are some people who claim that that will never be the case because quantum computing is, is quite a niche thing. The number of algorithms that we have is quite small. They can only do quite niche things. But in short, Cranston-Sterling uh, claimed that without quantum computing on um, just effectively standard machines, I have a, a, a quote here to, to just clarify what it was that they said. Um, Time AI is a simple, elegant solution that drops easily into any computer or IoT mobile device with standard memory and storage capabilities. It's so adaptive, so impenetrable, and so unique to each user, even its own architects cannot break it. So Time AI runs on um, normal computing. Anyway, they have uh, this algorithm that they haven't presented, haven't uh, given any of the details out for, and, and at this point say they won't, uh, that breaks factoring crypto without the requirement for quantum cryptography. That appears to be their case. Now, why is that a problem? Well, it massively weakens cryptography if it's true. Also, we don't appear to have any evidence that it that it is true. There is some counterpoint evidence. I, I pointed to that um, academic paper, which um, takes some of their, uh, some of the small details that they've published and, and um, highlights some of the problems with it. But yeah, um, this thing has existed. We, we we base a lot of crypto on this idea of um, factoring it being a hard problem. We know where weaknesses in that, things like Shaw's algorithm. Uh, and this leads to a term you might occasionally hear called uh, post-quantum crypto. For those who have maybe heard that term, I'm not sure what it is, or have never heard the term. Um, post-quantum crypto uh, generally refers to systems that are protected from quantum computing. So even if quantum computing becomes on mass available or available to nation states, those kinds of things, these algorithms are still um, protected against that. So yeah, uh, there's some some claims that were made that, that were pretty strong. Uh, one last thing just to finish off on though, uh, I, I did mention this, this uh, academic style paper, which has got uh, a couple of funny things in there. Um, the, the paper aims to um, refute with proofs some of the things that um, Crown Sterling's uh, paper highlighted, but one of the things that it states is, um, as such, clearly these distributive laws are at best badly written down and at worst simply wrong. And the reason I highlight that, other than it being um, a really polite way to counterpoint someone, is that Crown Sterling is, is making some claims that a lot of people are saying are out and out wrong, this is a scam. And the truth is we, we don't have a lot of data because they're not presenting or haven't so far presented anything. So that makes it difficult, right? It makes it difficult to, to counterpoint them. Um, and also, it would make it difficult for, for Black Hat to review their content. I do think there's some things in there that can be directly countered, and I think have been online. So for anyone who's interested in the details that are demonstrably incorrect, there's a lot of work online already about that. Um, but yeah, just worth uh, finishing off that section there. So what is my month in review? My month in review is... 
Um, security conferences are awesome, but it's important to remember that they're mainly put together by volunteers. And yes, there is corporate involvement through corporate sponsorship and things like that. I don't personally think that's a bad idea. Let me know, though. Do you think it is? Do you think that we should have some standard way of making sure that corporate sponsorship is transparent? And also, how do you guys feel about sponsor talks, those kinds of things? Maybe in light of this recent blackout event, people will be changing their opinion. Um, let us know over social media. I'd be very interested to hear what it is that you have to, to say. Um, not specifically about, about um, Crown Sterling or any of the claims there. I'm really interested in just how you feel about the way that we are running security conferences. I think they're very, very important, so it's worth looking into. Um, yeah, thanks for listening, and I will see you in the next one. <laughs>